guys know what FOMO is? Yes, I was introduced to it painfully one day. I was running late for a concert. And uh, if you've been to concerts, sometimes the best part of the concert is the pregame, you know, in the parking lot, the tailgate and all the rest. And everybody was there and I was stuck on Route 3. I could see it going on, but I couldn't get there and I was getting mad. And my daughter said, Dad, you got a bad case of FOMO. And I'm like, I didn't think I liked that language at first. I didn't even know what it meant. And she introduced me to it. This morning, I want to tell you a story uh, about an Old Testament mom, uh, maybe uh, a would-be mom, who is having a major case of FOMO, uh, and I want to share it with you this Mother's Day, because I want to draw some conclusions about her life for you women and you moms out there. Actually, as I think you'll see, these lessons apply to all of us, but I have to share with you on this Mother's Day, moms, I feel like you are um, under attack by FOMO in our culture, maybe more than anyone else, and so I would like to help a little bit. Let's jump in. The story starts in an Old Testament book called 1 Samuel chapter 1. There was a certain man whose name was Elkanah. Elkanah. He had two wives. One was called Hannah and the other Peninnah. Peninnah had children. Hannah had none. Now, while polygamy was never God's plan for men or women or marriage, in fact, God despises polygamy, It was nevertheless widespread in the ancient world, and Elkanah had two wives. Peninnah had children, Hannah had none. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Peninnah and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. And so Elkanah loves Hannah more than Peninnah, even though she had borne him no children. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. And this went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and could not eat. Now, as a woman in the ancient world, you would have been considered cursed if you were not able to have children. But if that wasn't bad enough, Hannah felt even more diminished because she was consistently taunted year after year. Now, Elkanah, in his love, he wants to comfort, uh, in her distress, his wife. But sometimes, gentlemen, you know this, we are just not all that good at choosing the right words at the right time. Her husband, Elkanah, would say to her, so he said this often, apparently, why are you weeping? Why, this is such a guy thing, right? Why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? And so here you have proof that men have not changed all that much over the last number of millennia. Put in modern-day nomenclature, baby, I should be enough for you, right? The reality is that Hannah has this major case of FOMO, and with good reason. In her world, in that culture, this is kind of crazy, okay, but in her world, in her culture, her value, her worth, her femininity, they were attached to having kids. Now, could you imagine a culture so barbaric, so primitive and backwards, where people's values or worth, especially that of a woman's, are attached to what they produce or achieve? Could you imagine? It's not that hard to imagine, actually, is it? Scripture goes on. It says, In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you'll only look on your servant's misery and remember me and not forget your servant, but if you would give her a son, then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life. 
And sometime later, we read, So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. Story goes on and shows that Hannah was true to her word. She dedicated Samuel to God. She raised him, brought him to the temple, handed him over to the priest, and she said, Here's my child. I made a covenant with God that I was going to bring him up and put him in the service of God's, so he's yours. If you know the Old Testament scripture, Samuel grows up, he figures prominently in the history of Israel. He anoints King David to be, to be king, and, and of course he's in the genealogy of David from Jesus, or from which Jesus comes. Some observations on this Mother's Day. The first is Hannah's FOMO. Now, we no longer live in ancient times where being childless was considered being cursed by God. But the reality of it is oftentimes for friends of mine who don't have kids and want them so desperately, it still feels like a curse. It feels like a death to plans and dreams and hopes, big ones. And Mother's Day for friends of mine that don't have children but want them so badly is like a reminder of the pain and loss. Mother's Day for you maybe this morning kind of feels like that same provoking ritual that Hannah had to go through. And when I look at the story, I guess I see two things. The first is that even in her pain, Hannah didn't give up on God. The scriptures say that in her deep, deep anguish, she prayed to the Lord and she wept bitterly. My guess is that those were not polite prayers. Uh, weeping bitterly probably sounds much different than weeping reverently. I think Hannah had some pretty honest conversations with God about her frustration and disappointment. And, and her prayers weren't answered, uh, at least instantly, the scriptures say her weeping, her wrestling, her waiting went on for years. But even in her bitterness, she didn't give up. And I think you see that in the naming of Samuel. Samuel means God has heard. And for Hannah, God's healing resulted in the long prayed for son. It might result in that for you too, but it might not. But that does not mean that God has not heard you. God has heard you. John wrote to remind those who have not seen the answer to our prayers, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And these are very real and very hard places uh, where there's pain and brokenness and, and loss attached to unanswered prayers. And, and all we're left with at the end of the day is faith and trust. Faith that God, really believing that he has heard our prayers and trust that despite what we see and feel, he's working together in all things, even in this for good. So I would encourage you this annual day of provoking to walk in that and to trust and to excitedly and expectantly see where God might be leading. Maybe it's not what you hoped for, but I, 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 would, I would argue that as followers of God, it will be better. Now, the second thing that strikes me about Hannah's story is her personal aspiration for and the cultural appreciation of motherhood. Hannah wanted to be really bad a mother. She felt it would be an honorable investment of the substantial years of her life. All throughout history, men and women, men and women have affirmed the importance of the role mothers play in giving and shaping lives. It was not until very recently assumed that if you were a mother... It was assumed that if you were a mother, your plate was full. The role was so important, so God-ordained, so foundational to the emotional, physical, and mental well-being of the next generation that it was, maybe lack, for a lack of putting it in a different way, it was enough 
to be a mom. Being a mom was worthy of giving your life away to. Now, over the last 50 years or so, a much-deserved societal and cultural correction has occurred specifically in regards to the value of women. It's hard to believe. My daughter just took her AP history test a couple of days ago, and so she was going over some of this stuff. It's hard to believe it has been less than 100 years since women had the right to vote. The Equal Pay Act wasn't passed until the 1960s, and the reality is that the act might have been passed, but based on virtually every study, not much has changed. So we still have a way to go, but as a father of two girls, I, I am so thankful for the opportunities that are going to be and are afforded my daughters that would have never been available 50 years ago. Like no other time in history, they are free to discover who God made them to be, their gifts and their talents, and they can pursue career goals with a level of freedom that has been unknown for generations. There are some cracks, finally, in the glass ceiling, and I'm thankful for that as a dad of two girls, and I'm thankful for it as a follower of Jesus who affirmed the value of women radically and counterculturally so, I might add, in ways that I think the world is just coming around to. But, here's the thing, I, I can't help but wonder if one of the great societal achievements over the last century has carried with it an unexpected cultural casualty. And that is the value and appreciation of moms in particular and motherhood in general. It feels like we have suddenly begun to think of, of motherhood as a pleasant extracurricular activity. Like, an extra uh, after-school event, an add-on, a part-time position. Somehow, I, I think societally, we have communicated to women that being a mom is no longer enough. And, and now listen, I know this is a guy giving this talk, so I'm going to try to be uber-sensitive. But I know at least some of you ladies have felt this. In my role here, I meet lots of folks, and as you guys know, oftentimes the question comes up rather quickly, what do you do? I would tell you that over the last bunch of years, many times I've had women answer that question when I ask them, what do you do, by breaking some eye contact, maybe lowering their voice or their head and saying, well, I'm just a, a, a mom. Almost as if there is like an unspoken, oh, I, you know, I don't do anything important. I just raise my kids. I, I saw it put this way this week. In most circles today, women who choose to become mothers and devote themselves to raising and shaping children are considered to be also rands in the value system of our culture. Let a woman announce her plans to pursue law or medicine or politics or business and cheers break out from the grandstands, but don't expect much applause for a woman who pursues the calling of motherhood. You're likely to hear a heckler cry out, you're throwing your life away. Now I am not, I know this sounds strong, but I'm not making this up. In fact, the Danish Prime Minister, Schmidt, Thorning Schmidt, actually said that if a woman with a degree chooses to be a full-time mom, quote, it is a complete waste. See, there was a time when culturally we all carried the conscious notion that diligent mothers had a powerful effect on society and on the church. There was an old adage that said, she who rocks the cradle rules the world. But my fear is that this needed societal change of valuing women equally resulted in devaluing the role women play in raising children. I mean, I know we, all, we get all sensitive about it and you know, sentimental about it on Mother's Day. We acknowledge it. But other than Mother's Day, sometimes 
I don't know. It just seems like we don't value it as much. In fact, let me go a step further in defense of my sisters in the room this morning. This cultural change has, in my opinion, not only devalued the role of moms, but it has placed upon the shoulders of women in our midst the most ridiculous level of unrealistic expectations for a human being I have ever seen. Can I get an amen? When I was a kid, I used to go to my grandmother's a lot. I loved her a ton. And she had a sign that hung in the kitchen. It said, a man works from sun to sun, but a woman's work is never done. And that sign was true probably in the 1940s when she bought it, when few women worked outside of the home. That's when the call to be a mom was understood already to be more work and pressure than could be expected to be placed on one person. But something changed and suddenly, it, oh, well, that's just, you could do that on the side. It's not a big deal. It's not a lot. Something changed. I, I, as I put my finger on it this week, I think sometime in the 70s, along with the freedom to pursue any career, came a subtle message that being a mom was not enough, that in order to be a woman of value, you had to add more to your plate than just that. Maybe it was best summed up by the ad for Anjali Perfume that was pumped into the living room of everybody that lived in the 1970s. This commercial was on every five minutes. I didn't want to run the commercial for you, so I found the ad. Here it is. It says this, you can feed the kids and the gerbils, pass out the kisses, and get to work by five of nine. And then the song would come on. I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan, and never let him forget he's a man because I'm a woman. Anjali. This is what you are expected to be able to do because you're a woman. Do you know who wrote that song? Two men. It's true, true story. It's ridiculous. I think this meme that I ran across said it best. Whoever said I can bring home the bacon, fry it up in a pan to prove that she's a woman should be hit in the face with a cast iron skillet really, really hard. And so... This myth began to grow that being a mother, well, that was not enough. Heck, it's a part-time job. It's no big deal. You need more to prove yourself. And the result was twofold. If you chose to sacrifice financially and dedicate the best hours of your day to being with your kids, well, then you're not a real woman. Like, you're just a waste. And if you did feel called to motherhood and to a career, well, fantastic, that won't be a problem at all. You can do it all. You can be a tireless mom. You can climb the corporate ladder. You can be a sex symbol at night. Nothing needs to give. This is what I think is behind a recent finding that this is the, the, the study's headline. Quote, motherhood is rotten for a woman's self-esteem. Researchers found that mom's self-esteem generally decreased during pregnancy. It increased for a six-month period after childbirth and then gradually decreased until the child reached age three. Of course it did, right? If you stay at home with your kid, you look down on it. If you go back to work, you're expected to do it all like nothing ever changed. If you want to know why red wine consumption is going through the roof, here you have it. <laughs> and, and it's just kind of grown, this myth of super mom, right? Watch today how many times you will see on social media, supermom, 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 right? I mean, supermoms, look at that. You're capable of doing it all. We bring it into the church, too. Check out this meme I found this week. 
God made you a super mom. That is not true. Just because somebody sticks God's name on something doesn't mean it's true. He did not make you to be a superwoman or a super mom. He made you to be his delight. He made you to be his little girl, his much-loved daughter. And, and ladies, he made you a human being with limits and breaking points. This has gotten so out of control let me, you want to see, uh, People Magazine recently had a headline that represents this kind of behavior at its logical extreme. Quote, here's the headline, Beyonce hasn't started to work out since delivering twins last month, sources say. I mean, the fact that it's not just notable but headline worthy, that a woman hasn't worked out since delivering twins a month ago, despite the fact that most doctors would say she shouldn't, shows you where this is going. But Jesus said, Come, all who, who, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You'll find rest for your souls. You know, that was written to moms, too. One last observation from Hannah's story. Her chief antagonist was not her husband, whom she did not produce a child for, and it was not a, a, any other man in town. It was uh, Penina, who, who purposely provoked her and shamed her. And based on my conversations with moms, I'm just sharing with you, you know, I, I talk to a lot of people in my job. Based on my conversations with mom, moms, I think this holds true today, too. Because oftentimes, it's not men who place these expectations on moms, it's other moms. One woman author wrote, in the past, homemakers felt that men did not fully appreciate what went into raising children and running a household, but they often received understanding and support from other women, at least. But today's mothers find it particularly disturbing when other women criticize them. Now, you ladies feel this because you have one voice in your ear that goes, all women should pursue careers. But then you have another voice that said, all women should be full-time mothers. And the pressure builds, right? All diligent mothers, well, you should, if you loved your kids, you'd homeschool your kids. Then you'd really love them. And it's still other voices cry out, all mothers should mix child rearing and work outside the home so you avoid just being a homemaker. See, to be a woman in this culture, to be a mom in this culture, you can't win. You often feel judged many times by other women, no matter what course you choose. I have to tell you, I've been working on this talk for a little while, and just in researching it and writing it, I began to feel the pressure. I'm going, holy cow, like to live under this. I'm not even a mom. And so what's the answer? How, how do women who have long since been liberated from the approval of men, how do you liberate yourselves from conflicting opinions, ridiculous expectations? And I think the answer is first to declare that God's opinion is the only one that matters. He, I, I, and when you do that, move confidently in the direction he calls you to, regardless of what other men or other women are saying. Moms, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. You, each of you, is a unique creation. You're each wired up differently from every other woman. God knows your gifts and talents, your passions, your abilities, your makeup. He knows the particular path that is best suited for your life, and he cares, and he will guide you if you'll humbly seek it.
The question becomes, will you follow? Listen, if God is calling, if you would, moms, if you would submit to God and just say, Where, Lord, what is your call on my life? And if the calling is to be a stay-at-home mom and spend the best hours of your day investing in the next generation, that is a profound calling. It is an honorable calling, and it is more than enough. Rest in his calling and his approval. Let the voices that are raised in your consciousness, let them all go away. And rest in that. It is a good and honorable call. If God places on you a call to have a career, then follow his direction. The Bible cites several examples of women who throughout history have looked to God for guidance. They've received his leading and they've followed. From Deborah, who held a top leadership position in the land, to Esther, who delivered an entire nation. From Achilla and Priscilla down to Jesus' mother, Mary, God has been calling and using women to fulfill his purposes from day one. This is not a talk about staying home. My wife has worked at one level or another since the day we were married. I have no doubt of God's calling on my wife to be a nurse. None. She has had deep and profound impact on people's lives in that job. This is a talk about choices, though. And it's driven, if I can be really honest with you, by a conversation I had with a friend a few years ago on Mother's Day. Every Mother's Day, this comes back to mind. My friend is a beautiful, powerful, and highly, highly successful professional working woman in a very demanding job. And her husband is exactly the same. They were both at the top of the food chain in their really very prestigious careers. And I remember speaking to her several years ago about how she did it. I said, how do you balance these two careers and kids? And, and we talked about it, and she concluded, and she said, it turns out that it is possible to have it all. Unfortunately, this Mother's Day, her and her husband are no longer together. Things blew up in their family in a really tough way. And for years, that has rattled in the back of my mind. It's possible to have it all. It's possible to have it all. It's possible to have it all. And I fear that we've bought into that lie. And I fear that we've pushed it on moms maybe more than anyone else, that you can have it all. I believe it turns out you can't. Now, I'm not alone in this conclusion. Anne-Marie Slaughter was the, listen to this, okay? Anne-Marie Slaughter, I don't know if she's a woman of faith or not, but she was the dean of Prince, uh, Princeton's Woodrow Wilson School of Public International Affairs. She has written six books. From 1994 to 2002, she was the J. Sinclair Armstrong Professor of International Foreign and Comparative Law and Director of the International Legal Studies Program at Harvard Law School. She has a BA from Princeton, a master's and a doctorate in international relations from Oxford, and a JD from Harvard. She left Princeton to become the director of policy planning for the United States Department of State. She was the first woman ever to hold that position. After leaving the State Department, she received the Secretary's Distinguished Service Award. Do you know why she left? She revealed it in what's become one of the most read articles in the history of the Atlantic. It's been opened over three million times. The title of the article, Why Women Still Can't Have It All. This brilliant human being, woman, and mother came to the conclusion that while it might be possible one day if the world changed 
Today, it is not possible to have it all. Choices need to be made, and she made one concluding that, quote, juggling high-level government work with the needs of two teenage boys was not possible. To all the moms out there this morning who are under so much stress because you're getting told you can do it all, you can have it all, and you feel like you're losing it, you feel like a failure, maybe somebody told you you were because you just can't keep all the balls in the air, I think somebody might have told you a lie. You can't have it all. It's not possible. Choices need to be made. To you, I would say, God may be calling you to the workplace or a career. Heck, you likely need the second income just to get by where we live, just to make ends meet. But hear me now, there is nothing he is calling you to that is more important or will have a greater impact or lasting legacy than being a mom. You can't have it all. Choices must be made. Priorities must be adjusted. There is no doubt being a mom has no limits, but is limiting. Now, gentlemen, before I offend every working woman in the room, I have to say this. I need to say one more thing. Nothing that I just said is exclusive to moms, although we have treated it that way. It's exclusive to being a parent, a mom or a dad. And it includes dad, too. It's just that for too long, we haven't even asked dads to consider making choices. We've put it all on moms. Maybe this Mother's Day, dads, you could give your wife, the mother of your children, the great gift of understanding. Listen to me, gentlemen. She can't do it all. She wasn't made to be super mom. And all the sacrifices that need be made don't have to be on her. You can't have it all either, and choices need to be made by you too. Mohammed El Arian served as CEO and Chief uh, Investment Officer at PIMCO, a trillion-dollar company. He served as chair of President Obama's Global Department Council, named for four years in a row of one of... Uh, one of foreign policy's top 100 global thinkers. He's written two New York Times bestsellers, and he also recently just resigned. And he, too, wrote a viral article in Worth magazine about why. He was trying to understand why one night his daughter wouldn't listen to him anymore about brushing her teeth before going to bed. She left the bathroom, went to her room, and came back with a list of 22 things that he had missed, from her first soccer game to Halloween parades because of his work. Talk about a wake-up call, El Arian writes. I felt awful and I got defensive. I had good excuses for each, each missed event. Travel, important meetings, urgent phone calls, sudden to-dos. But it dawned on me that I was missing an infinitely more important point. Moms and dads, you can't have it all. It's a lie. It's one that unfortunately has been hung around the necks of the mothers in this room, but it's time for us dads to embrace it too. And the choices and sacrifices that need to be made are not just on moms. Dads, we have to choose too. We have to prioritize our kids. We have to prioritize our wives. We have to put them first and stop holding them to the myth of supermom. FOMO. Oh, but I'll miss out. It's killing us. We fear missing out. We're told we can have it all, but we can't. And the answer 
isn't to do more or expect more. That is what we've been putting on the shoulders of our mothers for the last 50 years. The answer is together we have to just want a little bit less. The answer is simply accepting our bounded potential, our human limitations, and prioritizing what we care about based on the limitations. It's as simple as stating, this is what I choose to value more than anything else, and then living with it. And ladies, letting the myth of supermom die, taking off the mask, you can't do it all. You were never created to do it all. Let all of the pressure start to come off. If you're around the church for a while, you've probably heard about the Proverbs 31 woman. Raise your hand if you're familiar with the Proverbs 31 woman, right? A decent amount of you. If you know the Proverbs 31 woman, she is the biblical supermom taking care of her home and her kids and her husband, and, and she works, she brings in money for the family. And, and in the church, we hang the Proverbs 31 woman around the, the neck of our wives all the time. I am sure for them, it can feel like an, an unreachable standard, a heavy yoke. But did you, did you know that there are Proverbs 31 husbands and children too? After recounting how amazing a wife and mother she is, the writer says this, her children arise and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women do noble things, but you surpass them all. One translation says her children respect and bless her, and her husband sings her praises above all other women. Fathers and sons and daughters, this Mother's Day, maybe together we need a few more Proverbs 31 husbands, dads, and kids. Ladies, in closing, I just want to affirm one more time the nobility of motherhood, regardless of the current cultural values. It is, you have given yourselves, mothers, you have given yourselves to a lofty calling in pursuing motherhood. It is one of the most important and honorable roles you will ever fill. You, you are choosing to give your life to nurturing and shaping and teaching and counseling and inspiring a child to the point where one day he or she will worship and serve God for a lifetime. There is nothing more important. I want to lead the course of apologizers, especially to my own wife, for buying in to the supermom thing and just heaping unrealistic expectation on you. I remember when my wife, she, she would work weekends. Um, she would give up her weekends when I worked during the week and and then when the kids got old enough, just a couple years ago, she went back to work full-time. Do you know what changed in the household responsibilities when she went back to work full-time? Nothing. So to my own wife, I knew to apologize that I, I conveyed to you that you could do it all. And I need to make a few choices and sacrifices. You should not have had to make them all. She is an incredible wife and a mother. Many women do noble things, but they do not surpass her. To my own mother, who's watching online, who worked the midnight shift as a waitress at a beat-up old diner so she could be home with me when I was awake, who was a cashier at ShopRite when I was in school so she could be home when I got off the bus, and who then in her 40s took on a 20-year career in banking so I could go to college. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. And so, this Mother's Day, moms in this place, I honor you. We honor you. 
we're blowing up the supermom myth around here. It doesn't exist. I'm going to ask the band to come up. But as they do, can I ask every husband, child in the room, would you stand for a moment? And I'm going to, if, if your wife or your mother is here, would you look at them? And together, would you honor that? Would you join me by honoring? Hey, we're unveiled with no more supermoms. We are understanding what we have done, what the culture has done, what we haven't done. And now together, would you honor the mothers and the wives in our midst together? We honor you. We call what you're doing exceedingly important and super hard. And before God today, before your spouse, before your children and friends, and before everyone in this church, we celebrate and applaud your courageous choice to be a mom. And we ask God to energize you and empower you, to free you from the super mom myth, and to give you confidence, rest, and blessing in being what he called you to be. And nothing you are called to be is more important or more blessed than mom. Amen. Amen. Let's close the song together.